Welcome to the Cornerstone Pickwick Sermon Discussion Podcast, where we take a deeper dive into the previous week's sermon and explore thoughts and ideas that we didn't have time for in the sermon. My name is Jamie Wellman. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. And I'm Steve Mincher, one of the pastoral candidates here at Cornerstone. That is coming to an end sometime. And if you haven't heard the sermon yet that we're going to be discussing, you can find it at cornerstonepickwood.org forward slash resources. We'll be discussing the sermon entitled, I don't remember, what did I call this sermon? Something like judges. Uh, <laughs> Something. <laughs> yeah. Who will we fight are for professionals? Us. Don't worry. <laughs> Who will fight for us is the name of the sermon from Judges chapter two, verse six to twenty-three. I pray you enjoy. Well, Stephen Minter, how have things? been in your life these last seven days they they've been good you know trying to just doing my job and doing your job and <laughs> you have been doing my job <laughs> you have been some people some people just like to spend their their time on on the beach and uh soaking up the sun and, and yes i uh, do letting your and, and letting your kids go crazy so you can read your whole stack of books you took with you and listen i am a blessed man my wife is a wonderful woman she takes care of the kids uh, my in-laws are the best people on the planet and so they can watch the kids and have a great time and uh just leave me alone so that i can read that's what i do on vacation i literally leave vacation and you know sarah asks if i pack and of course i pack couple of clothes but then i'm most interested i think about it like weeks in advance and i pack uh i don't know six or seven books and i so so when sarah asked you so did you pack you said yes i did but there is one book i left at the church (laughs) that's right she's like no 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 no. what are you going to wear yeah i don't i don't know it's your job (laughs) although i will say i spent an entire week in flip-flops an entire week okay fist bump (laughs) fist bump on that it's the only week only week of the year was Never it that did again. Basic? Uh, yeah. Well, it's convenient because you don't have to tie your shoes. Yeah. 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 That's it. See, every weekend I make a covenant with my feet <laughs> that I I promise <laughs> to not cover the toes. Yeah. That's just nasty. let let them out. Yeah, let them so be yesterday free. we get home on uh, Saturday and yesterday after after we preached and came home and hanging out at the house. And uh, I was wearing flip-flops again at the house, and uh, Sarah and I decided we would go get some coffee, and so we go to get wine-ins, and I was planning on like just going through the drive-through, and she's like, "Let's go in." I'm like, "But I'm in, I'm in flip-flops." Yes. And so I had to go. I had to go yes. into a store, yes. and I had to see like actual human beings with souls see me without shoes on. It was embarrassing. I don't know how you do it. You have no self-respect. I. Don't think they even noticed. They didn't notice. Everybody else was wearing flip flops. This is, this is just my issue. Well, anyway, last uh, it's an issue. It is a definite that, issue. That, that, there's there is that. Yesterday we worked through Judges chapter two, and uh, we did most of the whole chapter. And we're not going to have time to read the whole thing. But if you would just take a moment and kind of read the passage that kind of summarizes this uh, text, which is verse sixteen to nineteen. So this is Judges chapter two, verse sixteen to nineteen. Starting verse 16, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, and they went, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, and, they had, and who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. 
Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who had afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers after going, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices for the, or their stubborn ways. So this is pretty much a summary of what you read about in the 20-some chapters of this book. It's a, it's a rather frustrating book. I think it's a, it's, I think it's a summary of humanity. Yeah, in a lot of ways it is, isn't it? It's that we, uh, if anything, we are a forgetful people. We forget the generation before. We forget the, the, the sins of the past. And we sort of just press on, believing that we have had it worse, believing that we know better. And what was that phrase that C.S. Lewis had? I was just thinking about a chronological snobbery. Yeah. Which is a fantastic phrase. Yeah. Chronological snobbery in that we believe ourselves to have evolved emotionally, you know, mentally, societally, whatever other Lee, we've evolved beyond the sort of primitive peoples that came before us. And in reality, we just, we were, we're cyclical. Mm-hmm. We, we run through these cycles. And as you're reading through the book of Judges, this is exactly what you see. What you just read, that's what you see. And you just see it with different names. The whole book. The whole book. You see it with different leaders, names. You see it with different enemies. You see it with a new generation. I think the thing that that's interesting when you read through the whole book is you, you start you look at who the judges are, right, and how long they served as judges, and and the judges go the way of the people. Yeah. So it starts out with some really good judges, and slowly but surely, as the book goes along, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And the the time that they've been judges, so like uh, Samson, he's like the middle point of that whole thing. He serves for about twenty years, and and he judges people for about twenty years. But like you have you have people judging for like forty years at the beginning, and by the by the time you get to the end of the book, I can't remember what the the last judge is, but he judges for just. A, Six eight years, something like that, and and the 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 judges are getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah. It seems like as the book progresses, until you get to the final judge, who who is the the the, the theme of the books that we're going to be studying, which is Samuel. Yeah. So we, we the reason we chose to do this book before next week is next week, Lord willing, we're planning to start First and Second Samuel, and this chronologically builds up to first and second Samuel because the last judge is Samuel. Samuel becomes the final judge of Israel. And this is this kind of sets this whole thing up. And I really think that it it provides that kind of dark background for uh, what what first and second Samuel begins, you start to see these little little you know bits of light kind of coming through. Mm-hmm. And and what is so interesting, I wish I would have had time to really do a mini series building into First and Second Samuel because the end of Judges is really one of the most. It's one of the darkest points in the whole Bible. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is. It, it is. It, if you had to preach to that, you would want to give some kind of disclaimer to parents with young children in the room. It's really not. It you know, it's, the Bible's 
is 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 true to form. It's straight it's to raw. the point. It's raw, and and there is a raw sin that takes place uh, at the end of Judges, and it just ends. It just ends with this dark, wicked act that causes a causes the people of Israel to turn in on themselves. They uh, one of the one of the tribes, the tribe of Dan, um, I believe. Uh, and another tribe end up fighting. The tribe of Benjamin ends up getting almost completely annihilated by the other tribes. And, uh, and the book ends with the other tribes in Israel having to do a rescue plan in a way because so many of the Benjamites got killed in this civil war. And then the book ends. And it's... And, uh, this, the, when you're talking about that, something that popped in my head. Wasn't Saul... A Benjamite. Saul was a Benjamite, and that's that's what I mean. I wish I could have taught this because it does add some color and some some layers to what actually how how tremendous it would have been for the first king in Israel to come from the tribe of Benjamin. There's another person who was a Benjamite. Wasn't Paul a Benjamite of the tribe of Benjamin? Uh, yeah, yeah, Paul was. Paul, yeah. the apostle Paul himself, was a Benjamite. And like the, the reason why the other tribes tried to wipe them out, like. Benjamites weren't good. Yeah, <laughs> like, they were bad. Like they were bad. Like right. they they brought that upon them. It's not like they were getting ganged up on by the. Like they they did evil. Yeah, evil. Yeah, there was no one righteous at the end of this book. In fact, the the book ends with that famous statement that there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right mm-hmm. in his own eyes. Where, where does the book of Judges? Why is it in the Bible? Like, where does it fit sort of in the canon of history? Why do you think God put the book of Judges in here? You go to, you start with Exodus. You know, Exodus through Judges into Samuel. This is a continuous story, right? So you have um, you have Genesis, and that, that talks about like the first 1,500 years. And there, there's, it, there's a lot of compression of time happening in, in the book of Genesis, especially at the beginning. And then when you get to those latter chapters, everything slows way down. And then the book of Genesis ends, and you have a 400-some-odd-year break, 430 years about this break. Once you consider the lifespan of Moses, you, that shrinks down. But you have this break of time in between Genesis and, and then Moses coming onto the scene. And, and so you see this... The, the people, they're, they're, they're brought out of Egypt. They go through the Red Sea. All of these great things in the Exodus are happening. They're wandering in the desert for 40 years. Um, and uh, th- that's because of their sin, that they're wandering around. But it's also because of the sin of other people. Where God says, I'm, you're not going to go in and take the land yet? Because the, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. You know, So you have these, they're wandering around the desert. They, they receive the law of God. They have God is leading them. You have the, the 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 pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke that's leading the people. They have the tabernacle is built. You know the the presence of God comes down onto the tabernacle and then it leaves. And when whenever it ascends off of the the tabernacle, then it's, they know it's time to go. And so they're they're following God. Like he, well, and they're all together. They're they're moving towards a common goal. Well, then you hit Joshua, the book of Joshua, and that's that's the conquest of the land. And and it talks about that here here in chapter two. Where, uh, of the book of Judges, where that first generation fought their way into the land, yeah. which is what God had promised. He said, I'm not going to wipe them out all at once, and then wild animals come and take over the land. 
you're, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to you bit by bit. I mean, it talks about in Joshua that God used swarms of bees to chase off the people, so then the Israelites can move in. So God is there; He's working with them, but he, they're having to fight their way into the land, and then that next generation inherits it, inherits it, and they forget. So it's like you have you have those people that's together; they're all seeing God, they're following God through the wilderness. They're, they they follow him across the the Jordan River and into the Promised Land. Well, all of a sudden now they're spread out, and they're settled, and they get complacent. I think, and so what we're seeing here is you have Gen- you have Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, and, and everything that in Joshua, and you see the people they're together and they're working for a common goal, and they're 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 following God. They're they're working towards that. Well, then all of a sudden. Now it's up to them to live in the thing that they've learned for all this time. So the, the people that entered the promised land aren't the people who left ex, left Egypt. Right. God, God has, has, has slain all those people. And they, they've all died in the wilderness. Well, they, But those people, they then have to fight their way into the land. Well, then what, ha- what, what do their kids do? Their kids, don't have to, their kids are, are detached from that. It's it's I think I wonder if part of it goes back to that concept of chronological snobbery, right? So, well, we're we have it better. We're 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 better than our parents mm-hmm. because now we're here and we're doing this. Well, then you see them. It, it uses strong language. It says they went whoring after other gods. Yeah. You know, this is like like the the Bible's raw. You know, it it doesn't mess around. It tells it straight up like it is. So I, this book fits in this period where you're seeing this is what happens when men try to rule themselves. Hmm. And they're, they're, they're constantly, this is Romans chapter 1, they are turning away from God. They are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. This is the heart of, the heart of man. And it makes you want a redeem, it makes you want a deliverer. Well, the book is called Judges. So you're going to get a deliverer, but the deliverer is going to come as a judge. And so, and, but that's, which we're, some we're going to get into later, that's a picture of Christ. Yeah, Christ is not just the deliverer. He is just and the justifier. He's the judge on the bench, and he's the one who's standing in our place. So there's that. It, the, the book should leave you, if you're thinking about it in terms of the, the scope of the story of Scripture, it goes back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, where... God tells Eve, you will bear a son, and and I will put enmity between your seed and the serpent. And there's there's this promise that your that the, the seed of the woman, that this this deliverer will come from her, and he will crush the serpent. Well, so here you're seeing judge after judge after judge is like, well, that's not it. That yeah. that can't be it. And so we see this is who man is. This is we need a judge, we need a deliverer. But it can't be just one of us, and there there has to be something more than just he fights off the enemy. There has to be some sort of a change of heart, yeah, which you don't see in this book, yeah. But that's what Christ provides, yeah. Is he doesn't just defeat the enemies; he changes us. Yeah, well, you see that you see that um, Barak and Deborah casting off the uh, Moabites, I believe, mm-hmm. and they chase them out. And then when they die, uh, I mean, they, they deliver Israel, and Israel's doing well, but then, then the judge dies. 
and then new enemies take their place. And it's interesting, it's the Moabites there, because then that goes into our series of Adorno Ruth. Yeah. It yeah, was a Moabites. It was a Moabites, you know? yeah. That's, it happens in this time, same time frame. So then, then the, uh, I think it's the Midianites take over their place. And then Gideon has to come along. And, and the Lord raises up Gideon, and Gideon runs off the Midianites. Well, then Gideon dies. And then there's a new enemy that comes along. The Philistines come along. And Samson takes care of the Philistines. Well, then the Philistines, they just keep coming back. And as we get into First and Second Samuel, you're going to see the Philistines haven't gone away. There's still enemies in the land. Mm-hmm. And we're told that in this chapter, that God's, God is going to leave enemies in the land to test his people to see whether or not they will obey him. And the answer, as you said, the answer that we're given in this book over and over and over again is that they won't. A deliverer will come, and and there'll be a revival, if, if, you, if you want to use that word, a revival of the, the hearts of the people to turn them back to the Lord, to kick out the enemy, and then that revivalist dies, and the people turn back away from the Lord. And this just cries out for the need of someone to come, and to not just kick out the enemy, and to not just create a temporary revival, but to renew the heart and, mm-hmm. to, and to fix the heart, obviously uh, leading us up to Jesus. One of the things that uh, stood out to me so much when I was reading and preparing for this message was the second generation. You already mentioned it. In verse 10, we read that uh, the generation that came into the land, the ones that you said had to fight their way into the land, they died. They were gathered to their fathers. And then the author writes, And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Mm -hmm. How does this teach us and what what does this say to us today about the need to disciple the next generation? I I think we see in in Exodus and I think it's actually I think in... uh, I think it's in Exodus, and I think it's also in Deuteronomy or Leviticus, where it tells it, it, God is instructing the people to, and this is something we talked about a couple weeks ago on the podcast, was God is instructing the people to um, teach their children the things that God has done and who God is, constantly be teaching them. And they would quote the Shema, mm-hmm. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, right? And so they're supposed to be teaching their children the Shema, this, this, this quotation of, reminding themselves daily, several times a day, who God is. And they're supposed to be teaching their, God, their, their children as they're going, how they're, they're, that, the works that God has done, right? One of the podcasts I listen to, their, their tagline is um, understanding what it means to live in the gospel and transferring that to the next generation. And so what you see here is what happens when you don't do that. You know, I think I can't remember who who it was. This is something that you had mentioned when we were talking before we turned the mics on. Was we are always one generation away, you know. And so, I think it's interesting. You were that you use that term revival, right? So here here in our country, you have the first Great Awakening, led by men like Whitfield, George Whitfield, and uh, Jonathan Edwards, and um, the Wesley brothers. You know, this is the first great awakening. There's, you can see this this powerful working of the Holy Spirit in on the American continent, and then before long, you have this uh, this thing called the Second Great Awakening, 
which a lot honestly if you look at those, those two are very different things yeah one is you can see the working of the spirit reviving people i'm not going to say that didn't happen in the second great awakening but the leader of the second great awakening was a guy by the name of charles finney who he was all about manipulating people into having an emotional experience to think they were having a, 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 this great revival, right? But you see, and then you have churches that schedule revivals every year, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> and the, the, the revival is the work of the Holy Spirit. You can't, you can't do that because revive means to make alive again, to revive. So you're, you're making alive again. So it, it's interesting. You see, we need that in our country. Like we're not living off of the fruit of the first great awakening. I mean, we're at a place where there are some people who are actually claiming that George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards weren't even Christians because they didn't hold the proper view on particular social issues. Like, we, we've come so far from that that we're saying, oh, these, the, leader, the men who led the First Great Awakening aren't even Christians. You know, and so we're, we're a people who forget. Yeah, yeah. And how important it is for us to not just tell our children about the Lord, but to tell our children our stories, you know, the stories of the Lord's deliverance of us. Because it, it, it says they did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And so it's not just that we need to teach our kids um, catechism. We do. But we also need to teach them, I think, the history of our family, the history of the, the church, mm-hmm. in that uh, I, I just think looking at history gives you a humility to recognize that, okay, so, you know, we're, we're recording this uh, early June in 2020, and there's a lot of social unrest going on in our country over racial matters. Uh, and if we're not careful and if we remain ignorant of history, we'll end up, I think, believing that it's, it's worse than it's ever been and there's no hope, mm-hmm. and that there's no hope for change, or there's no hope for uh, this country at all, and we run the risk of, of burning down an institution that maybe didn't need to be burned down. It may just need to be uh, reformed in some ways. Yeah. And so he, knowing history, knowing the way that the Lord has worked in the lives of his people, it gives us humility. I think something that was just, as you were talking, something that I thought of, isn't it interesting like when you hear people give their testimonies like that's that's important so that's that's what these people were supposed to be doing mm-hmm. is saying giving their testimony this is how I saw God work this is how great God is well but you go to churches or you talk to to Christians and in a very well-meaning way they're trying to give their testimony so many times when they do it it's all about them it's yeah. I was this bad and I was this, but look at, look at how much I've changed and all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And like, obviously th- what they're trying to do is they're trying to tell you, this is what God has done. And this is how God has changed me. Mm-hmm. But they make it about themselves in the process. And it's all about personal change and whatnot. Well, if you're going to be telling people the testimony of what God has done, Keep it focused on what God has done. Yeah. And I wonder if, if that right there could be a way that that, that shift happens, mm-hmm. right? Where you start, you're, you're, you're telling people what God has done in your life, but you're doing it in such a way that what they're hearing is, look how much he's changed. 
Yeah. And you start to disconnect from from who God is in the story. You know, one of the, my favorite things that we do at this church is when we do baptisms, we ask the person being baptized to, to share their testimony with mm-hmm. the congregation. And uh, I distinctly remember hearing the testimony of a young lady uh, whom the Lord saved. And uh, she, she had been in the Lord, gosh, less than a year. Yeah. And... Several, she, just a couple months. Yeah, not long before she got baptized. And her testimony was so gospel-rich. I couldn't have written it better. Mm-hmm. She just, she just, it was all about the Lord and all about His change in her life. And when you l- left hearing what she said, you knew the main character in that story yeah. was not her. It was the Lord. And that's another thing that kind of stood out to me in studying through the book of Judges, because uh, it ends with that statement that there was no king and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And I found that to be a really a modern ideal. <laughs> because if anything in our day, the modern virtue of our day is to be true to yourself, to be yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's just another way of saying be your own God. And that's exactly what was going on in Israel, is that everyone just did what seemed right to them, that everyone had their own standard of righteousness. And that's so relevant to us today. Because when you talk to people outside of the church who reject the authority of Scripture, that's exactly the world in which they live in. And how often do you hear somebody say, well, that's your truth? Yeah. Well, is the relativity of truth your truth and not mine. <laughs> I mean, it's self. They're self-defeating arguments, but sure. but it's it's so true. Like, but at the same time, yes, we're all about the individual, but we have this this thing creeping in that it's you need to be an individual, but at the same time, you are defined by your group. Your identity is your identity is based off of your group. And so be an individual, think as an individual, but don't step outside the lines of the the group parameters that you've been given. Yeah. And and it's not that you've you've adopted group parameters. You've adopted a group. You're you're put into a group based off of some political theory. Well, and it's a shifting target too, isn't it? Yeah. If you oh, yeah. if you're thinking um if I got to follow myself, well, I change. Mm-hmm. I'm a different person at 42 than I was certainly at 22 and certainly than when I was 12. Thank goodness. Thank the Lord. And that's yeah. a good thing. I remember, you remember like, I don't know if this was like it was for you when you, when you grew up, well, you went, you were homeschooled, but like in, in public school, you have like, um, yearbooks mm-hmm. and, and at the, it's, it's a thing that at the end of the year, you take the yearbook and it kind of pass it around and all your friends in your class, they sort of write in your yearbook. And they kind of sign their name and something. It's just a, a memoir to to your class, right? Well, I I remember one of the things, a constant refrain that people would write in my yearbook was "Never change, don't change who you are. Never change. I love, I like you. You're a great guy. Never change." That's the worst advice I've ever been given in my entire life. Yeah, because I'm 18 years old. I don't know nothing, and yeah. if anything, what I need is change. I need to change. And so follow your heart, it, you'll end up just running in circles because I don't know what I want. Because the problem with me following my heart is that when I'm wrong, I tend to find reasons to say 
I'm not wrong. Yeah. I need someone outside of me to tell me my heart is wrong. And the to diagnose it. Deceitfully wicked above, yeah. All, yeah, above all else. It's like, the worst advice ever to follow your own yes, heart. Yes. Because you will always follow your own heart to destructive ends, ends that use other do, people. Do we really think that all of these people who are doing right in their own eyes in this book of Judges were not following their heart? Yeah. No, no. This is this book of Judges is what happens when you do. Yeah. Right. The 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 stuff going on in 2020, the the early summer of 2020 here in the United States is what happens when you follow your heart. Yeah. We need a heart change. Yes. Which is what what we talked about at the beginning. We need a heart change. Yeah. And we can't do that for ourselves. And that's what that's what that's how you get from judges to Jesus, isn't it? Yeah. It's that these judges who came, they never changed the heart of the people. The yep. people still had a penchant for self-rule. They still had the God of their own belly. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus said, I quoted in the sermon, that uh, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. We're, we, we become slaves. To, we're going to serve something. Yeah. We're either going to serve the Lord or we're going to serve something else. And uh, in our day, it's it's not Baals and Ashtaroth. It's, it's the God of self. It's the mm-hmm. God of self-determination, self definition self actualization yeah self preservation you know we we talked earlier about the the god of 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 health and safety of how much that means to us mm-hmm. and so we we need we, we, what this book teaches us is that we need a deliverer to come and to deliver us not just from the enemies of oppressing us from the outside but the enemy of our own sinful hearts. I mean, but what does Jesus say about that? Like, um, we think it says you, th- you, you, your whitewashed tombs. He says to the Pharisees, he says you you clean the cup on the outside, but it, on the inside it's just dirty. Mm-hmm. Like we we think that our problem is this stuff out there. Yeah. This uh, our problem. In our life, the reason why we are have a, well, we're in sin or whatever is is these evil influences coming from the outside coming in. No, no, the, your your decadence, your evilness is coming from the inside out. Yeah. You know, if if everyone was perfect, we would have a perfect society. Society is not society is not the thing that's corrupting us. We are the thing that is corrupting society. Yeah, it's that it's that old. It's a, I love that quote from Dr. Al Mohler, where he said, "In our day, we believe that our problem is external, and that our solution is internal." Yeah. But the worldview of the scriptures is that our problem is internal, and our solution is external. Yeah. And that's how you get from Judges to Jesus. It really is a remarkable it's, book. It's like a a person's view of God will determine more than anything else. How that person lives their life. I've heard that before. Where have I heard that before? I've, I've heard it a couple times. Well done. Good sermon. Um, well, we'd love to hear from you. If you have uh, any thoughts or questions about anything that we've discussed today, go and head on over to cornerstonepickwood.org and click on the Contact Us link. You can follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, or just search for Cornerstone Pickwood. If you don't have a home church, we gather every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and at 11 o'clock a.m. And at some point, we'll probably go back to a regular service. But for now, we are on the same schedule of 9.30 and 11 o'clock. 
and you can find directions on our website. Grace and peace.